Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. And welcome to In-Depth. I'm Doug Sovereign. Our guest today is Michael Weinberg, president of the Bay Area Council Economic Institute. The council is a public policy group sponsored by local businesses. Its Economic Institute is a think tank that focuses on critical issues facing our region. And among those issues, of course, jobs, housing, and transportation. Thanks for being with us. Let's begin with your recent report about the Bay Area economy as a whole. Uh, we always hear about how California is the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, depending on who's crunching the numbers and when. But but the Bay Area on its own would be a pretty significant economic power, wouldn't it? Yeah, the headline here is that the Bay Area, the nine counties, are now a top 20 world economy, if we were a country. Uh, number 19 up from 21. And if you throw in kind of the Northern California mega region, you know, adjacent counties, you're up to about 15th in the world. So uh, if we were a standalone country, would we have tariffs is the question. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, the important point to make here is that when you look at a lot of the wealth that's being created uh, in the Bay Area, a lot of that is a result of international immigration, international cooperation, exchange of ideas, capital. And so uh, things like tariffs that threaten international cooperation are a pretty direct threat to the Bay Area, even if they don't directly impact uh, the goods that we produce here. And we'll talk a little bit more about that issue uh, a little later. But what is it that, is it mostly Silicon Valley? I mean, we don't have a lot of manufacturing. What is it that drives the Bay Area economy? Actually, we've got a, a very diverse economy. 20 or so years ago, when I first moved here, we had sort of dot coms with sock puppets and kind of sitting on top of uh, a number of other actual economies. Uh, that were largely elsewhere. Here, when we say tech, it's important to understand that we're now talking about the tech of media, the tech of lodging, the tech of transportation, the tech of uh, all sorts of different industries that are being invented here. So although a lot of it is you know, Silicon Valley innovation, it's a very diverse and then hopefully resilient economy. So tech of transportation and housing, we're talking Uber, we're talking Airbnb. Yeah, absolutely. And then in transportation, we also have a tremendous amount of uh, research into autonomous vehicles here. Um, so it's really inventing the future in a range of different industries. And we have manufacturing of electric cars, Tesla. We do. Um, and actually a decent amount of advanced manufacturing. One of the things that gets missed, um, among other things, uh, in how people think about the international economy is that the United States is actually undergoing a manufacturing renaissance. Um, and the amount uh, and value of goods that are being produced here by manufacturing has been going up. Now, the jobs haven't. But that's largely because manufacturing has been automated. So a lot of the plants in other countries also don't have a ton of jobs. So there aren't these you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs to, to bring back. And the manufacturing that's happening, uh, the automated manufacturing, a lot of that is driven by things invented or made in the Bay Area. Right? right. Absolutely. We've heard for years that we are a service economy. And increasingly, 
that's what we are. We've transitioned from manufacturing to service economy. How does that break down now in terms of how much of it is service, how much of it is manufacturing? Well, I mean, when you uh, when you look at jobs, the you know far and away, uh, you know, biggest employers are uh, you know uh, the services, education, professional services, uh, healthcare. Um, but when you're looking at output, uh, a lot of that is. Uh, outside of the service sector, it's in you know the the tech sector, software, and and the rest of it. So it it depends on what you're looking at uh, in terms of what the the outcome is going to be. Are you able to tell when you put these numbers together um, what the trend is in the next few years as to where the jobs will continue to be? To a certain extent, right? I mean, one of the things that's amazing about this economy is just how dynamic it is. It's often difficult for the businesses that we work with to even know what they're going to be doing in six months, let alone years from now. So we always say we should be training people for the jobs of the future, but we don't necessarily know what the jobs of the future actually are until the future arrives. And is there a risk of a glut? I mean, there's so many startups, so many tech companies. You've got thousands of, I think your report had, it said something like there are almost 3,000 companies started by people just who went to Cal and Stanford in the last decade. I mean, do we reach a saturation point? Is there demand for all the things that everybody is inventing and starting up? Well, I mean, yes, uh, so far. Now, there are a lot of people inventing and starting up things around the world. I mean, you go to places like China and they have these enormous uh, technology parks, you know, Z Park in Beijing and others that just have all sorts of folks uh, uh, working on inventing different uh, products around the world. Um, however, they, they can be very self-reinforcing, right? The, the, um, we have these international economic supply chains. We have these different goods that are being invented. Even the startups are, you know, consuming a lot of goods. So I think the the bigger challenge is, you know, the old issues of uh, housing and transportation. Uh, but there continues to be an enormous demand for the the goods that we're able to produce here. You read my mind uh, with the segue I was going to make next, which is, okay, so we've got this tremendous economic development, this great Bay Area GDP. It's a booming economy in terms of production, but that has a lot of side effects that we may not be prepared to handle. Yeah, well, although one of the things that's really jumped out at me at looking at some of the statistics of different places is that the Bay Area absolutely has a housing crisis Um, But it's actually not as bad as the housing crises in a lot of other areas. So, for example, if you look at uh, how many people are housing cost burdened, which is paying more than 30% for rent or mortgage of their income, uh, in the Bay Area, it's in the mid-30s. That's definitely too high. We want that number to be zero, right? However, in L.A., it's almost 50%. Um, so, and uh, there are plenty of other places in the rest of the state that have the challenges, especially with housing, but don't have the dynamic economic engine that's producing the wealth. So, in the Bay Area, you know, we all think, oh, it's so expensive here, and there's, we have the housing country, we have such a homeless problem. We know LA has a massive homeless yeah. problem, too. Uh, LA, New York, does it fall into that same category? I don't know if you've studied it as much, but uh, of having not enough housing and a very, very expensive cost of living. Well, I mean, New York does have an expensive cost of living, but there are huge distinctions between a place like New York uh, and uh, the Bay Area. New York has a tremendous housing stock. 
So when they were looking to, for example, you also mentioned homelessness, uh, move people into permanent supportive housing, they had these enormous uh, old apartment buildings that they could rehab. We don't have enormous apartment buildings sitting vacant here in the Bay Area. Um, so that's a big uh, challenge and uh, for us and a big difference with a place like New York. If we don't address these challenges, and of course everyone is scrambling to, but let's focus on housing for the moment. Um, how big a threat is that to our continued economic development? Well, the Bay Area Council does this poll about uh, folks and whether they're interested in leaving the region. And that those numbers have been ticking up. Uh, over half of millennials actually are now saying they're thinking about leaving the region in the next uh, few years. On the other hand, this is the 10th economic profile we've put out every uh, two years. And we went back and looked at our profile from 20 years ago. And the profile said effectively, the Bay Area has an amazing tech economy, but if we don't do something about housing and transportation, it's all going to fall apart. Um, so I want to assure everybody, we do write a new report and uh, analyze new data every uh, couple of years. But the 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 the, the takeaways are, are pretty consistent, which isn't to say we don't need to work on housing and we don't need to work on transportation. We've, of course, been working very hard on those during that whole time. However, we've been saying that uh, you know, this all the good times may come to an end uh, for quite a while. I'm sure I can dig up a newspaper article from 1897 or something. Right. That- Warns that we need more housing and, and better better ferry service or yeah. something like that. Um, but again, in the 20 years since that first report, our population has grown by probably 20 percent, somewhere in that range. So uh, you know, there are more and more people moving here and and living. Well, here. and what's interesting is how little it's grown, right? I mean, if you look at our uh, comparative uh, world economies, uh, the cities that we're competing against, the the Shanghai's and you know. Uh, Bangalore's and elsewhere. I mean, they've grown multiple times uh, their size during this period of time. And, you know, 30 years ago, Shanghai was essentially Sacramento, and now it's a metropolis of 25 or 30 million people, Um, which isn't to say that we need to grow at that rate. But even looking at our domestic competitors, the one area that the Bay Area is far behind the others on is in our uh, population growth. Uh, Now, it's important to say, most of those people are not moving to other states. They're moving out to the Northern California mega region, which itself is growing fairly quickly. Uh, but the Bay Area itself is is growing very slowly. That's true. We're in the, what, seven and a half million range or something in the nine counties? I don't know how you guys count it, but yeah, in that range. And yeah. Maybe it was six and a half million and it's gone up a million. Uh, Shanghai, I mean, I've been there. <laughs> Shanghai is, you know... Manhattan, if the Jetsons designed it, right. steroids. Right? Yeah. Just, you know, on and on and on and on. But, of course, they don't have the environmental regulations we sure. have. They have unconstrained growth and a government that wants to grow and develop. Yeah. Um, and we're constrained somewhat by geography. But you mentioned the, the mega region, people who, who live in Tracy and yeah. Stockton and Sacramento and Modesto and commute. Yeah. Into the Bay Area. I mean, does the day come when we just fill it all in and it's one big megalopolis? Well, hopefully not. Right. Like, hopefully we have gotten better at designing communities such that we can have sort of dense, urban, walkable, you know, Modesto as well and not just, you know, sprawl with uh, sort of massive subdivisions of single family homes all the way from here to there. Uh, The. Uh, open space is an important asset that we have here in the Bay Area. Um, and in order to do that, we need to do a much better job of hooking these places up um, 
especially by rail. Uh, so we're excited at the Bay Area Council that uh, you know new agency is taking a look at extending sort of one of these eBarts like we have to Antioch uh, out uh, through uh, Livermore into the uh, Central Valley, um, and because we just need to do that. Uh, the Altamont Pass is already a parking lot, and uh, the we've projected that the number of people uh, coming over the pass could double by 2040. Yeah, BART decided not to extend liver, uh, its rail service to Livermore, but clearly uh, there's potential there for whether it's linking ACE trains right. with some way to get more people out of their cars through that Altamont yeah. Pass. I mean, yeah, yeah. So there's now this new agency that's sort of taken over that piece from BART. ACE is doing a lot of stuff. There's uh, uh, a lot of uh, exciting stuff happening, even just going up uh, from the Central Valley to Sacramento. It's just not happening particularly quickly. I mean, again, going back to a place like you know China or um, some of the places that we're directly competing with, uh, the Chinese city of Suzhou put in a 97-stop underground uh, subway system since 2016, right? And uh, I'm not sure, I mean, it would be lovely to get the downtown subway and some of the rest of these things built. I'd imagine it's not going to happen in two or three years. I remember being uh, covering on a trade mission with Governor Schwarzenegger. This was would have been a dozen years ago in China. And we were going around looking at all the developments. And the Chinese officials would say, yes, this was built in six months by volunteers. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, what's and Governor Schwarzenegger would marvel at that and say, oh, you can build, a, you can build whatever you want here. We can't do that in yeah, California. Yeah. I mean, and certainly there are differences with the, you know, the passage of, you know, NEPA and CEQA, so the environmental laws back in the 1970s. But we could build a lot more than we uh, than we actually do. And that's actually what we if you want to talk about you mentioned, you know, tariffs earlier. If you want to talk about what we actually need to be doing to compete with other countries, it would be spending money on infrastructure. Right. That's the the sort of deficit or the gap that we have is that uh, these you know countries are really building their countries while we've sort of stopped building ours. And and there's been talk for years. I mean, it's not a very sexy topic, but every governor talks about infrastructure. President Trump talked about infrastructure when he took office, and it doesn't get done. And then we pass a gas tax to at least fix the things that are already falling apart, and people want to repeal it. Yeah, um, hopefully not not enough people. Uh, SB1 is just absolutely essential for our state's economic future uh, and improving the roads here. And... We need a lot more help from the federal government. Um, it's good to do things like the RM3 measure that we passed here in the Bay Area, SB1 at the state level, um, but tr- substantially more transportation uh, investment dollars need to be flowing to California and everywhere else uh, from D.C. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Doug Sovereign. Our guest is Micah Weinberg. He's president of the Bay Area Council Economic Institute. You know, a lot of people, they don't want to pay more taxes. They don't want to pay interest on bond measures, whatever gets passed, um, if they don't see the improvements. Right. And that's one of the things they say, oh, yeah, I vote for this stuff every time. And yeah. I still have potholes, and BART is overcrowded, and the bridge is backed up, and they're not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, how do we address that concern, and what do you say to people like that? Well, I say I am a people like that. <laughs> so... And I'm very excited about, you know, BART getting its new cars uh, out on the road. Of course, uh, we passed ARM3. Now, uh, you know, it's being sued. We need to uh, get through that. 
Um, but BART has a plan to add, you know, 40% more capacity. So, you know, you and I, when we're coming down from Rockridge, uh, there are those uh, condos and apartments going in at MacArthur. I think that's fantastic. There's an amazing amount of building going on, especially in Oakland. Right now, there's nowhere for them to get on the train. Uh, so, you know, getting those new train cars and train control system and, and all that in place is going to be essential uh, for making sure that people continue to have a good quality of life uh, while this development occurs. Yeah, people tell me, and just for the uninitiated, RM3 is Regional Measure 3, for some people know what we're talking about. Uh, People tell me they can't get on the BART trains in the morning from, say, Arinda, Lafayette. They literally have to wait multiple trains, and that's not good for anybody's economic productivity. I know you don't speak for BART, you don't speak for Caltrans, but one of the things I often hear from people is, why does it take so long? They built the Golden Gate Bridge in a few years, they built the Bay Bridge in a few years. Why does everything take so long in the Bay Area and California? High-speed rail, we've been hearing about it forever. Everything takes so long and always costs more than we think it will. Yeah. Well, I mean, a certain amount of that is unavoidable. Um, but we do need to, I think, continue to look at whether or not our environmental laws, if they are in fact preventing the creation of dense, well-connected urban spaces, are actually doing their job. Um, but then you run into all sorts of different stakeholders. Uh, and then I think, you know, we talk about public-private partnerships in transportation. Those can be really terrific for project delivery. It isn't, you know, public-private partnerships aren't just like creating a toll road. Uh, so there are a lot of things that we can do, and, and there are a lot of things that I, I think that we, we have to do. I'm pretty um, buoyed recently by the amount of housing construction that's happening in the Bay Area, especially in Oakland. Right now, there are almost 7,000 units of housing under construction in Oakland, uh, and there are only 175,000 uh, units uh, in the city currently. So it's a significant increase uh, happening in a lot of different places. They're building some of the first uh, multifamily affordable housing that's been put in in certain places in the peninsula since the 1960s. It's not enough, uh, but it's you know gives me a, a decent amount of hope. Yeah, I mean, Oakland is a, is a forest of cranes, and there are probably 30 high-rise buildings going in, and the skyline will look completely different in a few years, and many of those are apartment buildings. But as you said, the numbers you just cited, I mean, off the top of my head, that means Oakland will increase its housing stock by 5% yeah. or so, about 5%. Uh, is that enough? And even that, it seems like so much, and it's going to add a lot of density. 5% isn't a huge number, though. Well, I mean, you know, if, if we kept at it for a while, uh, it would make a huge dent. And it will make a difference. The challenge is that we're right at the top of an economic cycle right now. Uh, so if things cool off, we won't necessarily expect to continue to see 7,000 units uh, in, in places like Oakland. Um, and... Uh, we really still have this gap of about a million units uh, in the nine-county Bay Area uh, versus where we should be uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a region. Uh, among the reports or part of the report you put out recently is about the Tri-Valley region and about how uh, that's where the jobs are. It's not so much San Francisco or Silicon Valley. It's the Tri-Valley. Can you tell people a little about, you know, for those who don't know, what is the Tri-Valley right. and what are the jobs <clears throat> that are there? Well, and to be clear, the Tri-Valley is growing more quickly than any other part of the Bay Area. It still only has about 5% of the Bay Area's uh, jobs and homes. So the Tri-Valley is essentially uh, southern, southeastern uh, Alameda County. Uh, so you're looking at uh, places like Livermore, San Ramon, Dublin, Pleasanton. Um, there are three valleys, in fact. It's a, it's a real thing. And 
the so it's it's growing very quickly. There's a tremendous amount of tech activity over there. There's a, an interesting biotech cluster over there. Um, it's an enormously well-educated area. Uh, almost 60% of the people that live in the Tri-Valley have bachelor's or higher education. And the thing that really jumps out at me is some of your listeners may not have heard of the Tri-Valley, but they live in the Bay Area. That's why I asked you to define right? it. They don't know Amador Valley, Livermore Valley. I mean, hey, I wanted to explain Yeah. It. Um, <laughs> however, if the Tri-Valley uh, were its own region, so we go back to this, you know, sort of top regions, it's about as big as the research triangle in North Carolina and has about as much tech activity and, you know, tech uh, businesses. Yet we don't, you know, uh, fet that in the same way that, uh, you know, places like Research Triangle in Austin, which are still much, much smaller than the Bay Area, uh, you know, get uh, sort of mentioned as our competitors. Well, I think part of that also is, you know, historically this was a bedroom community that people started moving out to. You had Chevron relocate from downtown San Francisco to out to, they, wait, did they go to Danville or somewhere somewhere in that region? Um, San Ramon. They went yeah. to San Ramon. Uh, and then you had companies like PeopleSoft starting yeah. out in Dublin, Pleasanton. Companies that historically would have been in San Francisco or in Silicon Valley, yeah. and they locate there, the whole Bishop Ranch development, yep. because things are cheaper there. Yeah. Housing costs less. There's room to grow. Homes presumably are lower there than they are in San Francisco. They're somewhat more expensive, uh, not cheap. Uh, you're looking at an average house price there uh, less than a million dollars versus more than a million dollars in in San Francisco. But it's really sort of gone. The Tri Valley has gone from sort of startup to scale up as as we've been talking about it, um, and so it now has really this vibrant uh, innovation economy. It has a couple of national labs out there, uh, which uh, bring in uh, a lot of uh, talented uh, workforce um, and create a lot of uh, spin-off uh, tech activity. So the yeah, the Tri-Valley is really one of our very hot economies. But again, you know, there's only so, I mean, there is BART there, and you've got 680 and 580. Uh, and so a lot of people have, that's sort of become its own self-contained area. People who live there don't come into San Francisco that much if they work out there, too. Uh, there's that whole Renzo Piano Bishop Ranch project that's going in. you got Hacienda. Yeah. I mean, more and more people are self-contained in those sort of pockets and less interdependent with moving around into the core of the Bay. Yeah, which is great, but this puts us back on the Altamont Pass because it turns out that Tri-Valley is right there at the heart of the Northern California mega region. But that also means that it's the heart, at the heart of people commuting from uh, the Central Valley into Silicon Valley. Uh, so the people there, you know, even if they only need to be on 580 or 680 for a mile or two, are uh, you know sitting in traffic with people coming from the Central Valley. I often hear people say, "We can't build any more housing in the Bay Area because of the traffic." not understanding that these people are driving from three hours away, so they're on the roads with you already, and uh, it's not a pleasant situation, obviously, to be doing that much driving. But isn't that then one of the things that could constrain the growth of a place like the Tri-Valley is that the transportation infrastructure, the limits by just the volume of vehicles on the road? Yeah, and so that's why we need to you know, continue to uh, build transit uh, options uh, for the Tri-Valley, uh, and why we need to continue. I mean, the, the thing is, building is great in transportation. It takes a while. 
the nearer term strategies for transportation are almost all on the demand side. Uh, and so there are a lot of creative things that the region could do in a much more coordinated fashion. Uh, so, you know, Contra Costa County does a lot of uh, you know, very innovative things around transportation demand management, you know, preparing for autonomous vehicles. And some of those are synced up with other counties. Um, but we still really don't have a, uh, you know, a very powerful, you know, regional transportation demand management uh, agenda. Um, and that's what would make a huge difference in the very short term. How big a difference do you think autonomous vehicles are going to make? Uh, I mean, if they're Maybe they're only a couple years out, but yeah. Well, I mean, they're not going to make traffic better. Um, you know, the first thing you learn in uh, transportation school is if you make it easier to use some sort of transportation option, more people will do it, and you won't actually, you know, uh, decrease congestion. Uh, however, it would be a big change for how people live their lives. Um, so essentially, it will make. Uh, emailing from your car less deadly. Now, a lot of people already email from their cars, but, you know, this will be uh, safer emailing from your car. So you don't think that's part of the solution to the congestion? It's not a part of the solution to the congestion. Um, it may be part of improving people's quality of life and work productivity through being able to work in these cars. But if you facilitate people being able to, you know, move through these networks, we'll just have more uh, building. So we've talked a lot about economic growth and development. Uh, we are at the end of, or maybe we're not the end, we're in what may end up being you know, the longest economic expansion and recovery we, we've ever seen. Uh, the conventional wisdom is there has to be a recession at some point. Maybe it's 2019, maybe it's 2020. But the growth has accelerated in the last year and a half. Uh, I'm wondering what your outlook is for, is there a recession on the horizon in a year or two, the inevitable downturn that the governor keeps warning about? Or can the because this growth was so sluggish for so many years, maybe it goes on longer than, than it normally would? Well, so this is like, this is the question that everybody wants to know that nobody can actually answer. There is some weakness and wonkiness uh, in some of the indicators that folks are are taking a look at, um, and uh, but there aren't massive imbalances uh, that would lead us to expect that something is imminent. Um, but uh, all of this monkey business with you know trade wars and so on are really having a negative impact on the economy, already affecting the the price that Americans pay for their their goods affecting a lot of uh, California agriculture. Um, and so we can't certainly take the good times for granted going forward. So it, it's got to be there eventually, but maybe we have a couple more years to ride uh, this out. Maybe, or maybe sooner than later. We'll see. Uh, but for the time being, uh, the Bay Area is not only uh, a very strong economy, but, but still a growing economy. Uh, growing at the rate of other developing economies around the world. How much credit should President Trump get for the stimulation of the economy in the last year and a half since since he's been president? The tax cuts, things have certainly accelerated uh, since he became well, president. Well, I mean, they've kept going. Um, the you know job gains are on par with what we've been seeing over the course of the past several years now. Being essentially at full employment, there's no particular reason we should expect to continue to have, uh, you know, massive job gains. Um, so I uh, 
think it's certainly fair to say that uh, things have been somewhat more stable than a number of analysts expected uh, with the economy. But we can't keep monkeying around with international supply chains in the way that we're doing this. You know, the, the global economy is not a reality show. Um, and we need to really understand a lot of these connections. And that's why we write reports like the regional economic profile so that people can understand just how interconnected we are with the rest of the world, with the rest of the mega region, with the rest of the country, and really work towards economic solutions that provide mutual benefit. All right. Thank you so much, Michael Weinberg, president of the Bay Area Council Economic Institute, our guest today on KCBS In-Depth. And I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 